Um, so this morning, um, we're going to do things a little different. We're going to slow things down. We're even going to get our hands a little dirty. Uh, when we hurry, that's often when we make mistakes. We stop paying attention to the things that matter. We become unwise in a way. We don't think through what the consequences of our actions may be. We don't think through what the consequences of our words may be. Um, I don't know if you've ever been around somebody that just talks a lot, but sometimes they end up saying things that they don't mean and hurting or offending people. I make a lot of mistakes when I try and go too fast, when I'm not being present enough to slow down and observe the things that are going on around me. I remember when I was little, I used to want to be a professional BMX racer. And I had a bike that had no brakes because I was very poor. <laughs> and it was some kind of hand-me-down from I don't even know where. It was this little red BMX bike. And um, I never backed down to a challenge, but I also didn't think forward too far, as most kids don't, about the consequences of what could happen without brakes when you're going fast on a bike. And so, of course, when my neighborhood little boy said that girls can't race, I accepted the challenge. And I raced him around our apartment complex, and I won. But as I crossed the finish line, I went to break, which I always just put my toes down. And I was going so fast that I flipped my bike. My hair got caught in the spokes, and I just tumbled with my bike and skidded across the asphalt. And I was tangled in my, my mess. And I wasn't thinking at the start of the race that if I went fast, there would be consequences. But my brother came out of the house, and he, he's 10 years older than I am, and he picked me up with my bike, and carried me inside, and helped me bandage all my wounds. And looking back, I think that we do that a lot as adults. We rush into things without fully thinking, and we're left, or somebody is left, cleaning up our mess, or it's taking us a long time to clean up our mess. So today, as we talk about wisdom, we're going to talk about slowing down to be able to hear the voice of God well. As Thomas Keating says, God invites us to take responsibility for being human and to open ourselves to the unconscious damage that is influencing our decisions and our relationships. Uh, a a well-known Christian leader currently, Carrie Newhoff, says, if you can listen longer than most people listen, you'll hear things that most people never hear. So this morning, as we slow down, we're going to read our passage again, and I'm going to read it in different translations. Um, I'm going to read it in, you, you read it in NIV, correct? Is that, yeah. So I'm going to read it in the ESV, which is, the, um, this is the nerdy seminary Bible that everybody uses in seminary, in case you were wondering. 
Um, so James 3, 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Then I'm going to read it in um, the First Nations version. And then I'm going to actually have Matt read the message version. Um, okay. And if you want, it also helps me if I just close my eyes as I'm listening to the passages in different translations, because God can bring some words to you that may stand out differently. So shut out any distractions around you. And just listen to the words. Are any among you wise and understanding? Then show it in the way you live, doing good from a humble and wise heart. But if your hearts are full of bitter envy and selfish desires, then stop boasting and speaking lies to cover up the truth about yourselves. This is not the kind of wisdom that comes down from the one above us, Saul. Instead, it is from this world. It is unspiritual and of the evil one. For where there is jealousy in selfish ways, you will also find confusion and all kinds of evil at work. But the wisdom that comes from the one above us all is first of all pure, then peace-loving, gentle, full of mercy, and open to another's way of seeing and thinking. People with this kind of wisdom are like trees filled with good fruit. They have open hearts with nothing to hide. This wisdom will bring about a harvest of doing what is right because they are peacemakers planting seeds of peace. And then Matt is going to read the message version. starting in verse 13. Do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish conniving. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at, others, at each other's throats. 
Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Thank you. As we've listened to four versions, there are, in some are just slight differences and some there are bigger differences. As Eugene Peterson wrote the message, it's a conceptual piece. Um, but God can speak differently to us in different seasons and days of our lives, depending on the translation. One of my favorite things to do is as I read through the Bible each year, I do a different translation and I let God um, really work through whatever translation it is that I'm reading that, that year. Um, because in this passage, we're told what wisdom is, we're told what wisdom isn't, and then we're also told about what seeds we should be sowing. And so we're going to talk about those things. What is the recipe for wisdom in this passage? Well, first, he gives us eight things, and so I'm going to break down those eight things. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. When something is pure, it is free of contamination. There is nothing in it that is violating the purity. When we have thoughts or questions, when we're seeking wisdom, when we're seeking answers, we need to discern if what we're talking about is free of contamination. Often, our minds are not free of contamination. Most of the time, our minds are not free of contamination, which is why I loved the way Eugene Peterson brought community into the passage, because we need our community to be able to speak the truth to us, to check where our hearts are at. So first, wisdom is pure. Second, wisdom is peaceable. It's not contentious or quarrelsome. If you find that things are stirring up quarrels, it is not a wise thing. It is not our recipe for wisdom that God is giving us in this passage. And then it's gentle. It's free from harshness, sternness, or violence. I will often have to remind myself that I am not being a wise parent in this way because it's easy to get frustrated with my kids when I have to tell them for the 17th time to put on their shoes when we've been trying to leave for the last 20 minutes. It's easy for me to get distracted with those little things and to speak from a harsh place rather than a gentle place of love and wisdom. Wisdom is open to reason. This is a very hard thing for our culture right now. This Portland culture that we live in, this Western thinking culture that we live in, 
We don't like to be open to reason, but we like to think that we're open to reason. We have to be willing to listen to logical or sensible thinking. And we often discredit people's thinking as not logical and not sensible when it is because we're so blinded by our own failure to be wise and listen to others' counsel. Wisdom is full of mercy. This is kindness in excess. The word mercy derives from the medieval Latin merced or mercies, which means price paid. That is where mercy stems from. It's the price is paid. It has the connotation of forgiveness, benevolence, and kindness. We don't forgive super well most of the time, um, or especially within like a conservative Christian setting, we we forgive as a way to um, just lightly make sure that the other person knows we're okay to move on. Richard Rohr says, what humanity needs is an honest exposure of the truth and true accountability and responsibility for what has happened. Only then can human beings move ahead with dignity. Only mutual apology, healing, and forgiveness offer a sustainable future for humanity. Otherwise, we are controlled by the past, individually and corporately. We all need to apologize and we all need to forgive or this human project will surely self-destruct. We need to be full of mercy in order to make wise decisions, to extend kindness in excess. If you are being wise, your life is producing good fruit. You guys are all familiar with the fruits of the Spirit and what that means. Jesus talks about the fruits of the Spirit throughout his time in his ministry. Are you producing good fruit in your life? Wisdom is impartial. Wisdom does not show favor, and it treats everybody equally. So if you are elevating yourself above other people, you are not being wise. If you are favoring one person in a room over another, you are not being wise. And mercy or, and wisdom is sincere. It's free from pretense or deceit, uh, from producing genuine feelings. So it, I know that I feel um, a lot more than some people. Some people are really in their head. Some people are really in their heart. And I am, I, like, I act and react out of my gut, which gets me in trouble a lot. But I also have learned to try and quiet my initial reaction. And then, luckily, my husband is a head person, and I get to bounce things off of him a lot so that he can speak some wisdom into my feelings because our feelings sometimes deceive us and don't lead us quite in the direction that we need to be going or are being reactive in a way that they maybe don't need to be reactive. 
So we need to be sincere. So be honest with yourself. And this is something that I'm still learning. It is okay to feel deep frustration or pain. It's okay to feel those things. It's okay to feel like someone's letting you down. It's what you do with those feelings. It's how you sit in those feelings. If you're letting those feelings create a resentment or a bitterness, that is when it becomes a problem. If you're sitting with those feelings and being like, bringing those feelings to God, God, I am feeling so frustrated with this person for saying this. It really hurt me. Okay, so what is wise? What would be wise to do at that point? Well, what is pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere? Ask yourselves those questions. Because what wisdom is not, it is not bitter envy. A person, when a person wants so something so much that he, he or she is angry or hateful over it. See, bitterness is a child of anger and resentment. And we don't want to become bitter people. We don't want bitter envy to rule our lives. It puts us in a place that is not healthy, that is, it self-destructs you. I don't know if you've ever been in this place of resentment for a period of time, but resentment tends to eat at your soul. Like it just consumes everything, all your thoughts and all your time, all you're thinking about is the situation and it's not wise. That is not what God wants for us. And wisdom is not full of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is motivating, motivation to, to elevate someone else or oneself above other people. Um, and this is really easy to do just because by nature we think about what we, we want on a regular basis. It, we have to actually be intentional about thinking what other people want or what would be best for somebody else. And I think that, I, I mean, even in marriage or in your relationships with your siblings, like I can't tell you how many fights I got in as a child with my siblings because I wanted what I wanted. I wasn't caring about what they wanted or what I thought I wanted, I thought would benefit them, even though they were telling me it wasn't. <clears throat> Selfish ambition is an easy trap to fall in. Um, there was a Harvard Business Review article that came out with some entrepreneurs, really powerful leaders that said, today when I talk with entrepreneurs about how they can grow, I want to see them, I want to see them recognize that creating a virtuous product may require them to grow more slowly than they might otherwise. We are not entrepreneurs in the sense of creating this product, but we are entrepreneurs in the sense of growing ourselves and our spirituality and our relationship with God in a way. And our 
we need to create virtuous products. We need to create virtue within us that can be a light to this world. And when we're not doing that, when we're not slowing down and we're not taking the time to really develop that virtuous product, we become unwise and act out of selfish ambition. See, James tells us in this passage that selfish ambition and bitter envy, when we're acting out of those places, they're earthly, unspiritual, and he even uses the word demonic. Like, you, you are not walking in God's will if you are acting out of these things. So remember in James, in the first chapter of James, in verses 5 through 8, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave in the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. But such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I want to be a person that God considers stable and not double-minded. So what are you sowing? I want to read the last verse in different versions so that you hear it. And I want you to close your eyes. The NIV NIV says in verse 18, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. The First Nations version says, This wisdom will bring about a harvest of doing what is right because they are peacemakers planting seeds of peace. The message says, you can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. When I was researching some this passage, there was a, a quote that I found that I loved that said, the claim to be wise and understanding can only be proven through good behavior and through good deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. The word used in the Greek here means to draw out. It is the same word used in Matthew 13, 3 and 13, 19 in the parable of the sower. It's the same Greek word. It is intentional. The word sow is an intentional word and refers to inward and outward action. Jesus teaches us about the seed that is sown on different types of soil in the parable of the sower. And then he explains it by relating it to our hearts and how where the soil or where the seed is scattered, depending on the soil, is how fruitful it flourishes. So where are we sowing our seeds? 
We are expecting a harvest of righteousness. But if we're not sowing seeds of peace, we cannot expect that. We have unrealistic expectations. We must be still with God to sow seeds of peace. To sow, to plant seed, to set in motion. Our culture has lost these kind of metaphors. We're not farmers, the majority of us. People then didn't throw seed out wherever they felt like it. They cultivated the dirt and the land. They cared for it. They got their hands dirty. It was hard. It is hard work. If you know a farmer, we lived in Pendleton for a few years and got to know some of the farmers out there, and it is hard work. You work long hours caring for your land so that then you can plant the seed. But why do you plant the seed? They don't do all that work and plant the seed just for fun. They plant it because they expect a harvest. We want to harvest something great. Sowing peace, the Hebrew word is shalom. We want to sow peace with the intent to harvest. So what seeds are you casting out? What seeds are you scattering? Do you have anxiety and fear? Or is it selfish and resentful? Not only what seeds are you casting, but where are you casting your seed? Have you put the work into the ground? Have you put the work in with you and your relationship with God? Is the soil ready? Have you softened it and made sure the weeds are gone? So like I said, we're going to get our hands a little dirty today. And we have dirt, and we have little pots, and we have seeds. And one of the best ways for, especially kids, but for a lot of adults to learn and to let something really sink in is experiential. It's hands-on learning. And we are going to plant a seed as a symbol to remind us of what kind of seed we need to plant and how much work we actually need to put in to see a harvest be able to sow that seed and to watch it grow and what we need to do to nourish it. One of the beautiful things that I was struck with, I went to a conference that was all women leaders and like really amazing women leaders. And I was journaling afterwards and talking to God about how, oh my goodness, Lord, it's going to be so much harder to like actually let the seeds that were planted grow. And um, I was asking God to come water the seeds that were that were planted that I felt were planted in my heart at the conference. And I and He stopped me and was like, "I'm the sun. I bring light to what was planted." but you actually have to do some work and it's going to take discipline, but you actually water, you water 
that seed by coming to me. You water that seed by sitting before my throne and offering those seeds to me, and I will shine on them and make them grow. I think often I dismiss the work that I have to do myself. And it's very true with gardening. If you've ever gardened, I am not good at it because I'm not very patient. Or I plant something and then my children pick it before it's ripe and then they may ruin everything. So, you know, it's either one or the other. But one of the things about gardening is it does take a lot of time. It takes patience. And it takes some bad crops and some good crops to learn. So today we're going to plant a seed. And I'm going to have you guys come up and do this here in a moment. And then I'm going to go through um, a prayer. And it'll be a contemplation prayer where we're just sitting in silence. And you're just allowing God to move in you and bring things to mind that you either need to let go of or you need to work on. Whatever seeds you feel like God is planting, to have that be a, a wisdom moment for you with God where you're truly seeking his wisdom in the way that he has designed wisdom. So I'm going to lay out these bags just so I don't make a complete mess of everything. But there are cups in here that you can dish the dirt out. And there are little pots. And please, if your seed does not flourish, don't take it as a personal attack against your relationship with God. Because Matt and I had a genius idea when we got married that we were going to graft a tr two trees together rather than doing a unity candle or something. And we didn't realize that it was the wrong season to do grafting. So our tree died within like a month after our marriage started. But we're still okay and we're still married. So don't take it personally. Okay, so there are seeds in this cup. There are little pots here. So just when you're ready, you can come up and grab one. And as you take it home and actually work on watering it and setting it somewhere where it gets enough sun, I just want you to remember the wisdom that God calls us to seek. And maybe he's calling you to remember the thing that you need to lay down or the thing that you actually need to pursue. What is God calling you to do in this season of life? Okay, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys do this.
So as you guys work through it, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he gives us so much grace as we work through these things. Richard Rohr continues to say that nothing new happens without an apology, um, apology and forgiveness. And it is the divine technology for the regeneration of every age and every situation that the unbound ones are best prepared to unbind the rest of the world. The unbound ones are the best prepared to unbind the rest of the world. That was a beautiful word for me. One listens not with a view to hearing something, but with a view to becoming aware of the obstacles to one's friendship with God. So where is it that we need to ask for forgiveness? Where do we need to forgive? Where do we need to be unbound? As we do a centering prayer practice, we're going to close our eyes and sit with your feet flat on the floor if you can, whatever is comfortable. I'm short, so sometimes I have to sit on the ground to truly be comfortable. Take a big, deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. If you want to, you can have your hands in your lap with your palms open, ready to receive the words that God has for you. And allow your body to feel where there's tension. Where are you carrying your burdens in your, in your physical body? Is it in your neck or your shoulders? or your hands, your back. In 
and begin by just saying something true to God. Honest wherever you're at right now. Just express that to Jesus. As we read this prayer, I'm going to pause after each section and allow you to just ask God where it is in the prayer that he wants to speak to you. So continue with your eyes closed. Don't forget to take your breaths. When you feel your mind start to wander, no shame or guilt. Just bring it back to Jesus. It helps me if I just simply whisper his name. Hear me quickly, Lord, for my mind soon wanders to other things I am more familiar with and more concerned about than I am with you. O oh, timeless God, for whom I do not have time. Catch me with a sudden stab of beauty or pain or regret that will catch me up short for a moment to look hard enough at myself. The unutterable terror and hope within me and so to be caught by you. Words will not do, Lord. Listen to my tears, for I have lost much and fear more. Listen to my sweat, for I wake at night overwhelmed by darkness. Listen to my sighs, for my longing surges like sea urgent, mysterious beckoning. Listen to my heartbeat. For I want to live fully and stay death forever. Listen to my breathing. For I gulp after something like holiness. Listen to my clenched teeth. For I gnaw at my grudges and forgive myself as reluctantly as I forgive others. Listen to my growling gut, for I hunger bread and intimacy. Listen to my curses, for I am angry at the way the world comes down on me sometimes, and I sometimes on it. Listen to my cracking knuckles, for I hold very tightly to myself and anxiously squeeze myself into others' expectations and them into mine, and then shake my fist at you for disappointing me. 
Listen to my footfalls, for I stumble to bring good tidings to someone. Listen to my groans, for I ache toward healing. Listen to my worried weariness, for my work matters much to me and needs help. Listen to my tension, for I stretch toward accepting who I am and who I cannot be. Listen to my hunched back, for sometimes I can't bear the needs and demands of the world anymore, and I want to put it down. Give it back to you. Listen to my laughter, for there are friends and mercy, and the day grows longer, and something urges me to thank. Listen to my humming, for I sometimes catch all unaware the rhythms of creation, and then music without words rises in me to meet it, and there is joy of romping children and dancing angels. Listen to my blinking eyes, for at certain moments when sunlight strikes just right, or stars pierce the darkness just enough, or clouds roll around just so, or snow kisses the earth into quietness, everything is suddenly transparent, and crows announce the presence of another world, and dogs bark at it, and something in me is pure enough for an instant to see your kingdom in a glance, and so to praise you in a gasp. Quick, then gone, but it is enough. Listen to me quickly, Lord. Jesus, we're gonna sit for just a minute open to what you have to say to us. Lord, bring wisdom where we need it and rid us of the things that you have warned us are not wise. Help us to lay down the things that we need to lay down. O Christ, you are within each of us. It is not just the interior of these walls. It is our own inner being that you have renewed. We are your temple, not made with hands. We are your body. If every wall should crumble and every church decay, we are your habitation. Nearer are you than breathing, 
closer than hands and feet. Ours are the eyes which you, in the mystery, look out with compassion on the world. Yet we bless you for this place, for directing, your directing of us, your redeeming of us, and your indwelling. Take us outside, O Christ, outside holiness, out to our soldiers' curse and nation's clash, at the crossroads of the world. So shall this building continue to be justified. We ask it for your name's sake. Jesus, as we prepare to come receive communion this morning, Lord, I pray that you would continue to just move slow. Father, allow your spirit to reveal the places and the areas, Lord, that we need your wisdom. Father, citizens need your wisdom. And Jesus, we ask, Lord, that you would bring it. That as people sit with you over the next couple of weeks, Lord, that you would bring a wisdom and a grace and a mercy that this family would speak truth to one another, would love on one another, would encourage and bless one another. Father, we thank you. And we do not take for granted the gift of Jesus dying for us as the ultimate sacrifice. And as we partake of communion, we thank you for the body of Jesus that was sacrificed and the blood that was shed. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to work your redemption story in this city. And may we be a part of it by your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.